You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 266 of the Comic Book Informer coming to you on Tuesday, June 7th. How's it going this week, Raj? Well, this week I wasn't the one ranting about somebody on Twitter. So that was. (laughs) 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 You you kind of took my spot. So that was awesome. Uh, Yeah, I I figured, you know, I'd give you a break this week. I appreciate it, too. I'm I'm sure something will happen within the next couple days to let you get your spot back. Kind of already working towards that, but yeah. Uh, so with the way scheduling worked out and all kinds of stuff, I, I wanted to get to this particular story before the movie came out, but it didn't quite happen. But, hey, you know what? Who cares? Because I wanted to take a look at some of the earliest appearances of Apocalypse. And I definitely wanted to take a look at this now that the movie came out because something was very disappointing to me in that – It's common procedure that writers who were influential to the stories that the movies are based on are to get, you know, at least a special thanks in the credits of the movies. Uh, You know, Mark Millar, Christopher Priest, a bunch of people got credits for the Civil War movie because the stories and they were based on stories they wrote or particular interpretations of the characters that they were responsible for. Well, in X-Men Apocalypse, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby got their credits, as they usually do, but... Obviously, they can't touch on every writer that had an influential part, but I think you kind of have to include the person that created the guy the movie is named after. (laughs) And that is, of course, Louise Simonson, who is a phenomenally important person to comics. In addition to writing X-Factor, creating Apocalypse and a number of other characters there, the stuff she did with the Power Pack, uh, basically editing most of the X-Men line throughout the 80s, did a lot of work over at other companies as well. She is an incredibly important person in comics, and I definitely wanted to have an episode focusing on her work here. Yeah, I agree. What's funny is that when we were watching the – after we'd watched the movie, we were – my son and I were discussing some of the elements that were – annoying or disappointing or whatever kind of thing. And he was the one that made mention of Angel's wings. Mm -hmm. And like the way he saw it was, it was so fake that they get old, they get turned into metal. And I was like, kind of actually happened. Not quite like that, but he did get metal wings. And he was like, really? And he flew with it. Not to make sense. It's comic book logic, but yeah, yeah, but it was not nearly as well handled as this. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense for him to be flying with regular wings either. Well, a lot more than this. What's funny is that it brought me right back to when this here happened, and I'm glad you brought this up to to read for this episode because this was towards the tail end of when I was reading comic books as a a young teenager, and the event. Granted, the ones that we read here did not include what actually happened to him. Yeah, I I had to pick and choose because otherwise we'd have read 50 issues. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it's just that that event was – is still burned into my mind. And that's when you know something was impactful to you because I read – crap load of stuff as a teenager, be it comic books and, and novels and everything. And some of them really, really still stand out decades later. And a lot of it, though, is just completely forgettable. 
angel losing his wings is something that's burned, seared into my mind. Mm -hmm. See, it's interesting when you look at Apocalypse because originally Apocalypse wasn't supposed to be part of the X-Factor villain lineup. During the early issues written by Bob Layton, uh, the X-Factor was going up against a team known as the Alliance of Evil with their you know, mysterious uh, benefactor behind them. And it was originally supposed to be the Owl, one of Daredevil's villains, instead of Apocalypse. But with Bob Layton leaving and Louise Simonson taking over the writing duty, she's like, no, 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 I want to I create something new, some cool new villain that I can do stuff with in the following issue. So they just had Apocalypse pop out in like the last panel of issue five before uh, having his first actual interaction with X-Factor in issue six. So for a character that was just kind of winging it, throwing it out there at the last second, I think they did pretty good for themselves. Yeah, I mean, it's especially noticeable when you compare it to other villains of the time. Like, I never thought of him in the same league as, say, Magneto of that time or mm -hmm. other villains, but he was still a hell of a lot better than the stupidity that we were also getting, too. Well, I'll also point out at this time, Magneto was the one leading the X-Men. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're looking at a handful of issues from 1987 written by Louise Simonson, art by Walt Simonson, Bob Wiacek, and Petrus Cotes. And it just – I said I just wanted to pick a few issues that kind of told a small bit of the Apocalypse storyline because I was never too into X-Factor. The X Factor I'm more familiar with is like the Havoc led team from later years. And I remember when I got Marvel Unlimited, one of the things I wanted to do was go back and read some of the X Factor stuff that I'd missed out on. And I remember reading those first few issues. I was like, this was such a big deal. This ran for 100 issues. And it wasn't until huge. we started getting into the more in-depth stuff with Simonson as writer that it really did catch on for me. And I, I actually really like a lot of this uh, late 80s X Factor storytelling. The X Factor was huge when it came out. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. huge. Again, I remember because I was towards the tail end and and I had them all, like right from issue one onward and, until I stopped, obviously. And at the time, though, it was a disappointment because mm -hmm. it was way overhyped. And then when you would read it, you're like, oh, this is it, – it's not a, an improvement to the X-Men line because that's very much what they were drawing on. It was just, it just didn't quite feel right. And it took you a long time. You also had the controversy with bringing Jean Grey back from the dead or never actually died in the first place, all that shenanigans. Well, that's shenanigans that you're used to if you read comic books, let's be honest. Well, at, I don't know, at the time, this was one of the more distasteful ones, I think is a good way to say it, because I, I know Chris Claremont is still pissed off about yeah. it. <laughs> There were – I again, I feel there was a lot of things that – I'd have to go back and reread a lot of them because I haven't in, again, decades now. Mm -hmm. But I remember at the time being quite disappointed in a lot of the story arcs. Some of them, phenomenal, like this. But a lot of them though, like the stuff with with Gene and the stuff with Scott and, and what's his name? Maddie, I think her name was? Madeline. Yeah, yeah. Madeline. And, and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, God. It, it was – Convoluted well, for the Cyclops sake of is that. The absolute worst. That's nothing new. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so let's take a look at the actual issues we're looking at here, starting with issue 15, titled Whose Death Is It Anyway? Now I look at it, an interesting bit of foreshadowing there, but uh, this is where the X, well, I almost called the X Men, X Factor 
pretty messed up. I mean, Scott has just found out his wife and child are dead. Uh, things went wrong on their previous mission. And we start off with Angel waking up to find out his wings have been amputated. And damn, did they sell his absolute <laughs> distraught after losing his identity, really. And this is where the comic did it so much better than the movie because the movie he's a cage fighter who is held against his will and basically a did he punk. even have a single line he yeah he had a couple in the cage and i think maybe one out of it but yeah it was it was a joke there there was no reason for him to accept apocalypse and 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 in so doing the wings but here it makes perfect sense because he does feel like he was persecuted for being a mutant and that they were taken off. He doesn't accept that they were going bad and that they had to be amputated and things like that. And again, this this was much more visceral at the time if you read the issue where he had the wings being ripped out. I can't remember what villains it was that did it, but mm -hmm. I, I think it's even mentioned in here, but I can't remember. But yeah, when you see him and if I'm not mistaken, even if it was in a sewer or something like that, and he couldn't fly around. Yeah, because this was, was right after uh, Mr. Sinister sent the Marauders to wreck the Morlocks. Yeah. And X-Factor ended up rescuing a bunch of those. So, yeah, it was probably something to do with that. Yeah. So, and he got them ripped out. And again, it was, granted, I was young. I'd have to read that issue again to see if it was, it still holds that, that much impact. But, man, seeing him getting those ripped out was shocking. And it's a ton of that at the time. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. and so reading it again, even now, again, decades later, seeing him in the bed with the the stumps and everything, and you're going, yeah, I I remember it. And it, it makes sense that he'd be that lost that he would need to find something else. Yeah, I mean, he didn't know who he could count on. You know, he saw his... Friend, lifelong friends and allies had betrayed him by letting it happen to him. I mean, as we come to find out later, uh, Cameron Hodge, the guy that was kind of running X Factor, turned out to be a gigantic mutant hater, and he was just basically screwing with them the whole time. And, uh, you know, he probably could have kept the wings if they tried hard enough, but uh, he sold X Factor on the fact that they had to be removed in order to save him. So a lot of, a lot of storytelling going on here, not not just in this issue, but in a lot of the stuff that follows up because it, they were definitely bringing a lot of the X-Men team to uh, like various crises uh, because the uh, the fall of the mutants storyline was coming up, which was not a crossover, but just a series of stories that were related in the fact that everything was going bad. This was uh, right when the X-Men didn't have a home right before they got to Australia. Uh, Cypher's about to die and new mutants. So they, they were definitely beating their characters down to the point where at the end, they at least make us think that Angel commits suicide as a way of just he, he's kind of done. The, he's useless as a mutant. So he figures the best he can do is leave his fortune to X Factor because it's about to come public through an analysis of the Worthington estate that you – know, Things are, you know, who's funding what and what's going on. So it they make it appear that uh, the explosion at the end was Warren's doing. That was the one thing that I was – again, it was a bait and switch and a cheap one at that. Mm -hmm. Be Having Apocalypse save him essentially at the last minute kind of thing but trying to make it appear like, yeah, he actually died because there's no hint of it until later on and it ends that issue like that. And that I – I don't like those kind of bait and switches myself, so I never really care for that as much. Mm -hmm. 
So this leads us into the next one we're talking about, issue 19 altogether now. And this is the first full appearance of the horsemen. Well, at least three of them, war, famine and pestilence with and, and this was happening throughout the last couple issues as well. But this is where we finally get like some dialogue between Apocalypse and his fourth horseman, the mysterious shadowed figures talking about being able to fly again. I wonder who that could be. <laughs> But as far as bringing out these new villains that are going to be a big threat to X Factor, again, the Horsemen had a serious impact. Oh, well, yeah. Well, the Horsemen and Apocalypse, too. If you look at mm-hmm. – I mean it wasn't just about – and this is another thing that I remembered about it. Not quite as viscerally, but I, I, I certainly did remember it. It wasn't so much about the impact that he had just on on um, Angel but on Beast as well. Oh, yes. Because that hung on for a little while. I can't remember exactly how long, but man, I remember that for a while going on and that how much of a a change it made to the team and the dynamics between Beast and everybody else because there was a point where he was basically a walking chimp. Like they'd walk with him, he'd be hunched over kind of like a chimp and just holding his hand and walking with him. So like the impact that the horsemen as well as as, uh, Apocalypse had on those two was profound. Mm -hmm. Not to mention – Bobby had a brief crossover with Thor where Loki supercharged his powers with ice giant magic and he's losing control of his powers as well. Scott is just an absolute mess. <laughs> I mean, convinced that Gene is manifesting the Phoenix force again and in his mind almost kills her to try and prove a point. Like this is, this is some serious soap opera stuff going on, which I mean, that's what the X-Men was. This is Scott at his brooding best. Every <laughs> panel, he's got that brooding scowl. I can't, I can't do this. I, I might put other people in danger. I'm a threat to everybody around me. And yet he still shoots at them in crowded places. <laughs> <laughs> Their armor reflects my optic blasts. I better fire an optic blast. blast again. <laughs> Maybe a little harder this time. I'll aim for the shiny parts. (laughs) But this is also where we start to get, you know, a feeling of what Apocalypse's goal is. He doesn't necessarily want to remove X Factor. We see, you know, his whole shtick is he wants to allow the strong to survive. And he's basically testing X Factor. He wants X Factor to become stronger and hopefully eventually join his crusade. And it's, it's something that I think a lot of future apocalypse stories kind of lost the plot on because he became more factored around revenge against the X-Men instead of keeping to his MO of just wanting to wanting the strongest to rule. And whether they're his enemies or his friends, he's going to try and make that happen. See, that was one of the the things with the character that I wasn't as crazy about because it hinted far too much of the same things that Magneto has done over the years because yeah, he was a psychopath certainly, but he also did believe in the mutant race being the ones that should live on and 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 whatnot right but they definitely had two very different philosophies revolving around that idea yes i just mean that again similar enough that you can see that those veins in both Mm -hmm. of them and that was one of the things where okay it could have been a little bit more original there 
And as you said, at the end of this, uh, Pestilence infects Beast with a horrible disease that uh, in later issues as they attempted to cure it basically made him really strong because his body fought off the disease and was that much more powerful for it. But I forget exactly how it worked out. It was also draining his mental capacity. So the stronger he got, the dumber he got. And that's, like you said, that's a huge plot development for him because we we see, you know, he tried so hard to reject his beast-like nature. And this is basically a worse nightmare for Hank McCoy. Yep. It provided actually some, not in these, a little bit in these, but in later issues, it provided character moments and scenes that were really, really profound and really Mm -hmm. even some of them a little hard to read kind of thing if you had grown any kind of attachment to the characters just because it was was very well done depending on which writer handled it. But, but, and I, I wish I could remember how long it ran for, but man, it was... It was actually a really fun device that came out of this that I, I quite enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Which leads us into, as I said, the Fall of the Mutants storyline running through issues 23, 24, and 25 where Apocalypse finally launches his attack on X-Factor, including his new Horseman of Death, which, oh my god, did, did you know that was Warren? In the worst costume <laughs> ever. <laughs> Why does he have face paint on under the mask? <laughs> Well, I, I don't think that's face paint. I think that's just the color of his face. I, I don't remember. but Because it, as part of the wings, he, he kind of bonded with bits of Apocalypse's DNA. Oh, OK. So I, it, I, it, I it did change his complexion as well. Stupid as all hell. Oh, my God. It's <laughs> stupid. That's the other thing I remember at the time. It's going, oh, come on. I, I don't know if they were really trying to hide the fact it was Warren because it was so obvious from the first instant it, he showed up. not just in this issue but previously like even as a kid you kind of had to know oh yeah that's angel (laughs) with all the lens flares on his wings (laughs) but i I don't know i still love the angel of death design like even to to this day it hasn't changed much it's just such a cool striking figure i like the look of the wings i like the idea even Mm -hmm. though it's complete nonsense yeah who cares i like it it's just that goddamn suit Oh, and the face paint. I'm sorry, but it's and, and that stupid. hasn't changed too much over the years either. It's just been rendered slightly better by different artists. Yeah, slightly being the keyword. Except Opeña in the Uncanny X X Force X Force was it? Yeah, Uncanny X Force. Yeah, he did a good Archangel. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is yeah they're sound pretty soundly defeated and immediately captured, and it's. Again, I, I you can't even say X Factor really won this encounter. They, they, in a lot of ways, just played into what Apocalypse wanted. Like I don't know. Again, he didn't really want to defeat them. He wanted them to pull through and be stronger for later encounters. Because Apocalypse was the running villain throughout the first, I think, seventy-six issues of X Factor. Uh, you know, he would go away for a while, come back, keep testing them, keep testing them until eventually he was actually defeated. But because nothing really goes well for them here. I mean, they crash the ship into New York and are hailed as heroes anyway, because they didn't crash it too badly. And there's a parade. <laughs> and the ending of this is so goofy with the ticker oh, tape parade, God, it's but ridiculous. the story to get there with all they had to go through of, with their various problems, and especially beast beast was really the central focus of this story was very enjoyable. Yeah. 
so yeah, definitely check out some of this old X Factor stuff. I, I'm going to want to continue reading it because it's been several years since I went through a lot of this older X Factor stuff. Because I, I do want to see, you know, the the beast things playing out again. Like, listen, ain't a whole lot worth reading that's coming out in 2016, so you might as well read something that came out in 1988. Let's yeah. put it that way. <laughs> Speaking of comics that came out in 2016, did you, have you read Civil War II? Uh, only the issue zero, whatever. I didn't read the the first issue. I oh my god! I hear from some people that really liked it, but because I abhorred issue zero, I really didn't bother. I'm in no rush for that one. This is an even dumber setup than the original Civil War. At least the original Civil War, you know, there was a storyline around the splitting of the sides. Let's put it that way. They. They're close to doing something good here because this it revolves – I'm going to spoil some things here if you guys haven't read it. Uh, it revolves around a new inhuman who can see the future. So you have that minority report storytelling of, well, if this guy can show the future, we can stop bad things before they happen, which is the uh, Captain Marvel side of the argument. But then you have the Iron Man side of the argument of, well, how can we punish people for things they haven't done yet? And that's it. <laughs> like it's – a story that I can't think of very many comics have told. It, it's been done a lot of times in movies and whatnot. But it's it just makes no sense because in the middle of this, you know, one of the things he predicts is what we saw in the free comic book day issue of Thanos raiding Project Pegasus. So apparently – and they don't even show that in this comic. Like if you didn't read that free comic book day issue, you have no idea what happened. They show like two panels of it and one of them is Rhodey being killed. Yeah. There is no medics helping. Rhodey War Machine is straight up dead now. And it happened off panel in the <laughs> oh, comic. Oh, God. And apparently, like, She-Hulk's not looking too good either. She's uh, She was in major cardiac distress and the doctors couldn't do anything for her because they don't know how to treat a gamma being. So that's it. And now Iron Man is really pissed off at this inhuman because if he hadn't predicted that future, War Machine wouldn't have died. Are you serious? <laughs> I am dead serious. So he's going to go kill this inhuman kid because he can predict the future. That and things grown adults did to act on that intelligence and information are his fault. Wow, that's horrible! That oh my god, that's awful! Horrible. And I can't see how they're going to do this whole oh, you know drawing the line and splitting people up on the different sides because how is anybody going to agree with Tony on this? Like oh. maybe the philosophical side of things of, okay, you know, should we punish people for crimes they haven't committed yet? Maybe that would be an interesting comic, but not a civil war comic. Yeah. <sighs> Another news, <laughs> weird world had its final issue with issue six and this is a con I knew it wasn't going to last. I knew it wasn't going to last. It's just not a thing that a lot of people are going to be into. But my God, it was a fantastic six issues. Mike Del Mundo, I, there's nothing more I can say about him as an artist. He is phenomenal. Uh, what Sam Humphreys did with the story, picking up from, with Jason Aaron's stuff during the Secret Wars, was amazing. Like, it's only six issues long and it doesn't have a proper resolution. You can tell there is far, far more story to tell. And I hope somewhere along the line, we're going to pick it up again. 
because this is something that people deserve to check out. Cool. And then finally, continuing the emotional gut punches, the Transformers. <laughs> I, I've talked time and time again, especially in the more than meets the eye version of the comic, what they do with the character relationships, both as friends and romantic partners, as far as giant robots can be absolutely stunning like there was in the latest issue i think it was 52 i believe it was there were no less than three scenes of i can't believe i care this much about freaking robots <laughs> because they're, they're about to make their uh heroic last stand before they're all wiped out so it emotions are running high heroes are acting cowardly villains are acting heroic it's it's some really intense stuff, but I can't say, oh yeah, check it out because you kind of needed to read the previous 51 issues, <laughs> but man, it's, it's so good. When they're being all romantic, do they use like the built-in lube? Listen, That's don't get into Tim on me. <laughs> <laughs> what have you got for us this week? <laughs> Ironically, before you had suggested the the uh, the story art that we talked about, I had actually gone back and was looking through some old issues as well. And I'm just reading through some of the events that I didn't get to read because they were after I'd stopped and I never went back to do it. And so I read the Exti uh, Extinction Agenda, which ran through hmm. X-Men and New Mutants and X-Factor um, and – very much a comic in its time. Yes. Very, very much a story arc in its time. And you've got a lot of the New Mutants, but I'm going to flat out say not exactly written the best. A lot more about whiny teenagers in here, a lot of them, as opposed to showing their strength. There was some, but also some stupidity. And then, I mean, this was a time when Cable was leading the New Mutants and for some reason, I'm trying to remember what it was. Something happened to Jean. She was a teenage young girl at the time. She'd been changed. Her body swapped. So she didn't have her full powers yet. And yet she was stuck with some of the new mutants when they were being abducted. So, like, it's it's a hell of a convoluted story with gratuitous stupidity pity with costumes being torn or left behind and you're like <laughs> come on Claremont seriously but there was also some cool stuff that was happening especially with some again of the new mutants and this is where Warlock had presumably died as well kind of thing the villain is straight up stupid in this like really Really? No, a stupid villain in an X-Men crossover? It's a head and a robot thing because he made a pact so that he couldn't die. And, and it's Cameron Hodge. And ah. so, yeah, like there's – it's one of those story arcs where I would after, – after reading it now, I would say, just wiki it. <laughs> just, just wiki it, figure out what happened and – you, you you might not actually want to because this was one of those ones that went on for like twenty or so issues, wasn't it? Oh, I didn't read that many. No, I what was it? Maybe eight or nine or ten, maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, closing in on 
ten. But uh, but yeah, it, it ran for actually quite a while, and, and quite a bit does happen, and you get various people popping in as well, like Wolverine and whatnot, and powers are drained and removed and they got to rely on not having the powers and still doing stuff, which is not unheard of and whatnot. It's again, it's one of those things where there are certainly some moments throughout that are interesting. And it was, there was some canon going forward that they did hang on to, but there was also, Oh, masses of stupidity. <laughs> like not, not just a little bit of stupidity. We're talking about a whole hell of a lot of stupidity. So and Louise Simonson wrote some of these as well too, mm-hmm. like the the uh, the New Mutant stuff and whatnot. Again, there is certainly some good stuff, but does not hold up as well as a lot of the other stuff of that time because this was written when uh, ninety. Oh, okay, yeah, November of nineteen ninety. So yeah, I, again, there's if you enjoy reading that old X stuff, then yeah, certainly go into it and, and have some fun. But it's got some clunky dialogue, which is, that's what it was at the time. Some ridiculous sexist that, again, of that time, you saw a lot more of it. So I, I certainly didn't enjoy that, especially when you're looking at, like, they, they, they port them over, but they couldn't port over their clothes. So, of course, it's like the new mutant <laughs> girls and Storm, who just happens to be a young teenage girl body as well, but now without any <laughs> you go, come on. Like, it's... But, again, some scenes, some different things that then they use going forward, which is nice to know where it came from. Did you read the latest, and it's actually, I think, a week or two old now, uh, Deadpool Spider-Man? Are you oh. still reading that? Oh, yes. Okay. Did you find the last issue a lot clunkier than the previous ones? This is issue no. number five. I found it a lot clunkier in terms of the writing, where Parker's mm. dead and and, and uh, Deadpool well, kills him again. <laughs> I, I did find that was actually a little funny, but and and their adventure in wherever the hell they are, kind of thing. I I don't know. I just found it a lot clunkier in terms of storytelling and dialogue than the other ones. I actually really liked this past issue. Right, I I enjoyed it, but I did definitely find it clunkier. Hmm. Lastly, actually, there's a couple of other ones, but all right, I'll just stick with this one. Um, the last. Um, I'm a little bit behind. I don't know when it came out, but the last uh, Darth Vader one where mm-hmm. he has a confrontation with what's-his-face? Yes, the inspector. Yes. That was awesome. Uh, completely oh, expected. <laughs> <laughs> completely expected. But awesome nonetheless. And once again, freaking droids. Oh, my God. BT and triple zero. Oh, the, the stuff they went through in that issue. <laughs> yep. Hysterical and so much fun. So much fun. So, yeah, that's it for me. All right, then. Well, this week's new releases, uh, not a whole lot coming out this week that I caught on to. From Marvel, we have all new X-Men number 10. We have two Civil War miniseries kicking off, Amazing Spider-Man and Gods of War. We had Darth Vader number 21, Guardians of the Galaxy number 9, New Avengers number 12, and Thunderbolts number 2. From Image, The Fix number three, Grizzly Shark wraps up with its final issue number three, and The Wicked and the Divine number 20. Aside from that, uh, IDW, we have Star Trek number 58. From Titan, Sherlock, A Study in Pink number one. Ooh. This is the manga 
adaptation of the BBC Sherlock show. Oh, dude. Translated into English. Okay. Done. (laughs) (laughs) And finally from Valiant, 4001 AD, Bloodshot. And that's going to wrap us up here at Comic Book Informer. As always, you can find us online at comicbookinformer.com or on Twitter at CB Informer. And until next week, thanks for listening. Make sure to stop by comicbookinformer.com and let the guys know what you think in the comments. If you'd like to hear more from Roger and Vince, check out Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast, as well as For the Lore, a weekly gaming podcast. (laughs) 